leaders all over the world are preparing for more intense warfare as history prepares to draw to a climax. According to Prophecy Newswatch, at this point it appears the entire globe has been gripped by a really bad case of war fever. An important question every believer needs to face, are we living for time or for eternity? Because time as we know it is running out. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. In time signs are proliferating, which means that time as we know it is about to run out. Let me take you to Revelation 10 and verses 5 to 7, where the angel lifted up his hand and swore by him who lives forever and ever, there will be no more delay. But the literal Greek text uses the word chronos, meaning there shall be no more time. I'll repeat this passage. Then the angel swore by him who lives forever and ever, he who created the heaven, earth, and sea, and all the things in it, that there will be no longer delay, literally no more time. Then the mystery of God is finished. And that's where we're headed, the finish line. Time as we know it will morph into eternity. No matter what the globalists say, no matter what artificial intelligence says, this Bible says that we're racing towards timeless eternity. And thank God that our final destination is not this fallen, corrupted world. I agree with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are the most to be pitied. Yet many believers seem to be totally preoccupied with this present darkness. It's time to wake up and to consider the end of time and the beginning of eternity. The book of Hebrews declares, we have no continuing city here. But do we really believe that? Is this world everything to us or do we embrace the biblical mentality that this world is only transitory? a temporary pilgrim's address as we pass on to eternity. To keep everything in perspective, we need the guideposts of biblical prophecy. Speaking of the prophecies in the Bible, 2 Peter 1 and verses 19 to 21 declare, we also have the prophetic word made more sure. So Peter says we do well to pay attention to Bible prophecies because they are a light shining in a dark place. We need this light of prophetic revelation as the world grows darker. It's just tragic but true that you can be a believer in Jesus, yet blindsided if you haven't availed yourself to study Bible prophecy. And if you're ignorant of this prophetic word, you will not be able to understand what's happening and why this world is falling apart. Humanism is an anti-Christian force at work in most governments today. The return of the Lord, not climate change, is the only hope for humanity. Nothing else but the return of King Messiah 
will ever satisfy the desperate needs of the human race. I'm an intercessor, and I monitor the news, and I hope and pray for good leaders. But ultimately, we can't count on politicians to solve humanity's problems. It's not a donkey or an elephant. It's the lamb who's also a lion who will ultimately prevail. Well, a key to understanding biblical prophecy is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The thing revealed is our marching orders, and that's simple. Matthew 24, 14 declares the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then what? The end will come. And Isaiah 60 is a beautiful promise for God's people at the close of this age. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Great darkness will continue to grow deeper, but the light will get brighter. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Those destined to be saved will crawl out from the darkness to seek light and truth from the people of God. Shamefully, many pastors are refusing to teach Bible prophecy. Many fear scaring away people and losing offerings or conspiracy theories and so forth. The woke church wants to yoke with Rome rather than preferring God's eternal city, Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Almost every passage in the New Testament concerning the end of the age contains warning against being deceived. The disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the first thing Jesus did was warn them against deception. He said in Matthew 24, take heed that no one deceives you. For he said, many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And indeed, since the time of Jesus, the Jewish encyclopedia records about 40 false messiahs, the most famous being Bar Kokhba, who led a revolt against the Roman Empire. All of these false messiahs succeeded in having followers. And today, Israel is still waiting for a messiah. All over the land, there are messiah flags and posters of Rabbi Sneerson, who was a messianic figure of the Chabad movement. But Jesus warned that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there, don't believe it. For he said, false messiahs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But see, he said, I have told you beforehand. So we can't say we haven't been warned. Well, what lessons do we learn from these verses? First of all, miraculous signs don't always prove the validity of a message or messenger. In fact, it's extremely dangerous to accept supernatural signs as a guarantee of truth. Something that appears to be supernatural is not a guarantee that a person is a true prophet. Secondly, Jesus' warning about deception is the nature of our spiritual warfare. It's a part of the believer's daily life. 
we must contend for the gift of discerning of spirits. Anybody promising a bed of roses is without a doubt a false prophet. Now, in order to avoid deception, we have to be able to identify truth. The Roman governor Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And are we able to define truth biblically? Well, first of all, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. So the truth is Jesus. Also in John 17, 17, as Jesus was praying to the Father, he said, your word is truth. So this Bible is also truth. And then in 1 John 5, 6, the apostle John stated, the spirit is truth. So here we have a trinity of truth. Jesus is the truth, the Bible is the truth, and the Spirit is the truth. We have to acknowledge all three to understand truth. Jesus, the Bible, and the Spirit. And right now, lies are being proliferated all over the world, but the Bible is our fact checker. Even some people may preach about Jesus, and it may sound right, but we have to check our Bibles to determine if what they're saying about Jesus is biblically accurate. For example, there's a popular TV show that has connections with the Mormons. In one of the episodes, Mary Magdalene is tragically portrayed as a backslider after she became a follower of Jesus. Such a lapse of faith in Mary Magdalene is nowhere depicted in the New Testament. In another episode of this popular TV show, Jesus is shown to be out of character by refusing to heal one of his disciples who petitioned him for healing. But that's another Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the New Testament. Many people who have permanent disabilities say they were blessed by that depiction. But in the New Testament, Jesus never failed to heal anybody who came to him asking for healing in the New Testament. And the Gospel of Matthew says that even the maimed were healed by Jesus. So if the world portrays Jesus denying healing, then we can always question whether or not it's his will to heal us. But in Mark 1.40, Jesus forever put that question to rest. He said to a leper, I am willing. I want to heal you. So we mustn't accept another Jesus or an artificial intelligent Jesus on the internet. Concerning teachers and prophets, we have to ask, is their message faithful? And is there a witness of the Holy Spirit? How vital it is in this hour to cultivate the love of truth. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verses 9 to 10 I've looked at a lot lately, it prophesies about the Antichrist. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So we learn that Satan will produce lying wonders. He deceives those on their way to destruction. And why? Because they have refused to love and accept the truth that would have saved them. So they'll perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. That's a red alert. If you find yourself refusing the love of the truth, you are hell bound. That's what the Bible teaches. During recent years in shutdowns, the people who were not deceived 
searched out truth for themselves. So let's be diligent and take time to sort out what is true and what's false. Go with your Bible into the presence of the Lord and ask him for answers. Revelation 19.10 tells us the essential nature and safety of prophecy. It says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You see, all true prophecy points us to Jesus. The direction of biblical prophecy in the Hebrew Bible pointed to Jesus. And in John 16, verses 13 to 14, Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He, Jesus said, will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the work of the Holy Spirit in the church is to exalt and glorify Jesus. When we glorify Jesus, the Holy Spirit is present. But if we're presented with another Jesus, we will have a counterfeit gospel. Any presentation of Jesus that's not scriptural is a different Jesus and a false gospel. For example, in Latin America, Marx's liberation theology became very popular, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's not a revolutionary. His symbol is not a cleansed fist. He's the Savior, the Son of God. Many megachurch pulpits today use euphemisms that minimize sin. Let's not deceive ourselves. Sin is sin. So let's train ourselves to name our problem by its authentic name. If it's lust, call it lust. If it's gluttony, call it gluttony. Some people call deviant sexual behavior love, but God calls it an abomination. The woke Jesus pats everybody on the head and never challenges sin, never mentions judgment, but that's another Jesus. And Paul said in Galatians 1.8, if anybody preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Jesus frequently spoke of judgment in hell. So remember, he ate with sinners not because he wanted to sanction their sins or appear inclusive and tolerant. No, he ate with sinners to call them to repentance. Now let's talk about some important practical issues of our daily walk in the Spirit. I appreciate genuine prophetic words. They're essential to the spirit walk from time to time. And I've received many helpful prophetic words from men and women of God as confirmations. But words of prophecy from other human beings always have to be tested. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 to 21, Paul said, Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophesying. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So we're instructed not to despise manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but we're also instructed to test everything and hold on to what is good. Any prophet who's not willing to be judged is disqualified. You see, if I do not judge their message, God holds me accountable because he told us to judge prophecies. It's irresponsible not to. So don't worry about being dictated to by a prophet, but rather assess everything. 
Some professing believers behave like they're entitled to a word from God, like going to a fortune teller. I always feel a little uneasy when people come to me with a tape recorder expecting to receive a prophetic word from me. Our great mentor in Jerusalem, Derek Prince of Blessed Memory, used to say, we're not entitled to personal revelation if we're not living in the general revelation. You see, it's laziness if a person goes to a prophet for a word from God if he or she is not living in the revealed truth of Scripture. On the other hand, if we live according to the general revelation of God's word, then we can expect personal revelation from time to time when God knows we need it. But if we ignore seeking God for ourselves, then it's insulting to God to go to a prophet asking for a special word. Instead, the Lord says, why don't you read my Bible? A casual believer who ignores his Bible just cannot expect to hear accurately from God and may become deceived. Because faith comes by what? By hearing and hearing by this word of God. Think about this. Paul the Apostle was not deceived by a false prophecy. In Acts chapter 16, there's this fascinating account of a slave girl who was prophesying factually. But this was a case where discernment was vital. I hope you're familiar with the story. Paul and his companion Silas arrived in Philippi, and a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, started following them around. The Greek says she had a spirit of python, which is a snake, and we know that's devilish. And by the way, a 13-foot python, and some accounts said it was a 19-foot python, was recently found in Florida. Python squeezed the life out of its victim. Think of the spiritual application. So here in the New Testament, there was this girl with a python spirit who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And that spirit squeezes money and sometimes the life out of its victims. As she followed the apostles around, she cried out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Well, her statement was certainly accurate, right? However, fortune-tellers are crafting, and they use truth to siphon off and bait people. Instead of being encouraged by her advertisement, Paul was agitated in his spirit, and he refused to be associated with her. That was the gift of the discerning of spirits, the ability to distinguish between true and false. It's a sure sign that the spirit is not witnessing with something when you have no peace and when your spirit is agitated. Less discerning believers may have been convinced that the girl was a candidate for baptism. But the Holy Spirit within Paul guided him. Dear people of God, please hear me when I say the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is never wrong. When we're born again, we can learn to rely upon the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, if we ignore it, he is never wrong. But Paul, greatly distressed, turned and commanded the deceptive fortune-telling spirit in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it did. I was in a meeting in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, and in that meeting a woman began to prophesy dark things over me. But thank God I didn't have to receive her prophecy. 
We don't have to be fearful of rejecting prophetic words just because somebody wants to prophesy over you. Refuse to accept dark prognostications. Some friends in Jerusalem had a dark cloud prophesied over their house, but they wisely rejected the word. People who risk going to fortune tellers have all sorts of things prophesied over them, like cancer, car accidents, tragedies, deaths, and so forth. And if they accept those prognostications, they can open themselves up to allow Satan to bring those tragedies to pass. So let's refuse to accept Satan's destiny for our lives. We have to be watchful and not accept negative words into our spirits. If anybody within the sound of my voice has been to a fortune teller or to an astrologer or to a shaman or any sort of new age witch doctor, I strongly suggest that you renounce the connection. Sever it now in the name of Jesus and ask God to release you from all of the consequences. You see, there are many prohibitions in the word of God against engaging in the occult. Let's be willing to confess the sin of going outside of the boundaries of safety given to us in our Holy Bible. If you have consulted a psychic medium or an astrologer, fortune teller, or a false prophet, you can repent and ask God to nullify their predictions in Jesus' name. Be sure to repent and to ask God to release you from all association and consequences. You're also taking a risk if you attend a worship service with the aim to get a word from a prophet rather than hearing from God for yourself. Yes, again, I want to emphasize that there is a genuine gift of prophecy, but it operates at the will of the Holy Spirit and as God directs. Well, there's a succinct Psalm of David, Psalm 131, which says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, my eyes are not lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child weaned of its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. I do not concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. This psalm is a great comfort because it tells me I don't have to concern myself with things so profound. All I have to do is stick to the simplicity of the gospel. I want to be a weaned child before a God like the psalmist. Recently, we had the pleasure of welcoming another grandson into our family. He's a sweet little soul with a good disposition. As a typical newborn, he cries for milk, and if it's delayed, he begins to fuss. Then he starts demanding to be fed. But let's not be like that with God. Let's be like a weaned child. Let's not go to God demanding a word, demanding to be fed, demanding revelation. A weaned child can wait to be fed. This is all part of the discipline of a believer. Well, now, to guard against deception, we must learn through frequent exercise to develop the gift of discernment. Our great mentor, Pat Robertson of Blessed Memory, moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he used to teach us Hebrews 5, beginning with verse 12. I'll always associate this verse with Pat. It says, by this time, you ought to be teachers, 
but you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. For everyone who lives on milk is still an infant, inexperienced in the message of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. So in order to have discernment, we have to constantly practice the gifts of the Spirit, learning day by day how to discern. Every time you're confronted by spiritual warfare, exercise discernment. And eventually, through constant use, we learn to distinguish between that which is true and that which is false, between the spiritual and the soulish. I wonder if you discern that a lot of worship music today is soulish, like a form of entertainment. But sensitive believers will be able to tell the difference between anointed worship of the Almighty and soulish music that just gratifies the flesh. Well, I keep coming back to this. Let's develop wisdom and cultivate humility and the holy reverential fear of the Lord. Psalm 25, 12 and 14 asks, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So yes, occasionally God does reveal his secrets. But what's the condition? Humility and the holy reverential fear of the Lord. The book of Proverbs declares the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. It says, he who has the fear of the Lord will abide in satisfaction and will not be visited with evil. Well, presently, the church is betrothed to Jesus, awaiting his second coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb hasn't happened yet. And in the meantime, we're being tested and purified until he comes. The question remains, will we stay loyal to Jesus? Do we care about the things he cares about? There's an old Hasidic story of two Jews who were best friends. One said to the other, if you really love me, tell me where I hurt. Because if someone loves you, they will know where you hurt. And when we love individuals, we'll also know where they're hurting. Jesus sticks closer to us than a brother, and he intercedes for us, knowing where we're hurting today. But I'd like to say, if we claim to love him, do we reciprocate? Do we know where he hurts? Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, hungers for those who are hungry. He thirsts with those who are thirsty. He feels lonely with those who are abandoned, and he shivers with those who are cold. He weeps with those who mourn. He's imprisoned with the incarcerated. And he still weeps over Jerusalem. This is where he hurts. May the Lord help us to share his heart for Israel and Jerusalem and his passion for a lost and hurting world. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our wonderful Savior. Help us to cultivate a love of truth today. We thank you for our great salvation purchased for us through the blood of your son, Jesus. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Therefore, we want to renounce any area where deception may have gained 
a foothold or some sort of control over us. And I hope that all of God's people watching and listening say with me, Amen. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me on social media and take time to explore our website at exploits.tv. As always, I will be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Baranatha. It's hard to believe for me that it's been over 40 years now that I've been at least a spiritual citizen of the nation of Israel. Ever since my first visit to the Holy Land, it's been an intriguing and totally inspiring place to get to know the Bible better. And what a privilege it is to share these insights with you through the media of Jerusalem Channel. We now have over 300 weekly broadcasts to view online free of charge. And just recently, one of our channel streams logged over 8 million views. But bringing these programs to a global audience does cost money. And during the summer months, giving sadly goes down. Just at a time when we need to meet some of our biggest expenses to pay for the streaming services. I want you to know that we really appreciate your help to make the Jerusalem Channel possible and to illuminate the Word of God in the context of the land and its people. You can give online at our website using credit or debit cards or write to us. In the USA, your tax-deductible gifts can be sent to Box 2768, Stanton, Virginia, 24402. And in the UK, our address is Box 109, Hereford, HR4, 9XR, England. God bless you.